Good morning, church. It's great to see each one of you here this morning. You know, we're saying you are good, you're good, you're never going to let me down. And I, I just can't help thinking, you know, the problem is that we let ourselves down, don't we? So last night, um, uh, my, uh, I had a pig named Fiona. She, had, she gave birth and had some little piglets. And, um, and so, I don't know if you know, but pigs have this tendency to roll on their little ones and suffocate them. And so, um, so late last night, maybe 11.30 or so, I was getting a heat lamp set up and, and built a little alcove and put hay in there. And I was like, okay, this is just the perfect little spot, the heat lamp in there. It's just like laying out in, I don't know, some sort of sauna or something. It's really nice in there. And so I put them all in there and then made sure that they got some good milk to drink, then put them all back in there and said, this is a good spot to be, right? I'm trying to be good to you. So I go in this morning, and there's the three, uh, three girls, pigs, and they're all laid there enjoying, like getting a nice little tan off of my heat lamp. And there's the little, little runt, and he's running around in the bed, on the back side of his mom where she's laying there, she gets up, and he's still, so she, uh, normally the pigs, this time of year, they kind of dig a little hole in the hay. He's down in the hole, like, rolling around, and I'm like, you're going to get yourself squished. Don't you know how good I am? <laughs> Look what I made for you. The girls got it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and then God's like, uh-uh, that's you, Josh. <laughs> I'm good. There's no problem with my goodness, but you just keep on running and doing your own thing, getting yourselves in a whole pile of trouble. What is Psalms 119? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking, taking heed thereto according to your word. And that's why we want to open up the word of God this morning, because the Bible says the word of God is God's memo to us. Just as my little piglet was not getting the memo this morning of where he should be, because his, his owner is, was, was caring for him, was trying to be good for him. So a lot of times we don't get the memo and we start doing our own plan. And we get ourselves into a heap of trouble. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. That was a freebie. <laughs> That's why I try to stick with my notes. I'll just keep going. Um, Matthew chapter 16. Um, this morning, let's just ask God for wisdom. Father, we come to you. We come to you as a good God. And in your goodness, in your mercy, in your grace, in your infinite wisdom, you have written, um, recorded that your word so that we could understand it. And as we come to even a new year, I just pray, Father, that today, that our hearts would be God to you. Say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And that the words... Your words, Father, would speak louder than this preacher's words. In your name, amen. I just want to talk about the local church. I, you know, when you kind of just do a one-off, it's kind of like, what are you going to speak on? Because you really have to try to get it all in in one message. Um, and so um, I was reading a news article, and it was about Abishik Donald. He's part of the, I'm going to butcher this, Parathana Bawen Church um, in India's capital in Delhi. And this past August, he was playing the drums as usual when a, um, a, a mob of 30 people came into the church and started attacking the churchgoers, men, women, and children. He was playing the drums, and during the assault, a man welding a, um, who was holding an iron rod started beating him, ended up breaking all of his knuckles on his right or left hand, on his right hand, um, and struck him across the b body multiple times. Um, and even to, 
even to now, he can't play the drums anymore because um, his knuckles didn't heal properly. Um, and like his pinky's all twisted and stuff like that. But you know, that hasn't stopped Abishik from going back to church at 16 years old. He says, I'm going to go back to church. I may not be able to play the drums like I once did, but I'm, I'm going to be in church. Saw pictures um, a few years ago. Uh, a person in the church that I pastored went to um, Bolivia to the Quechua Mountains, and they showed me a picture of the mountains. And, uh, and then they had multiple pictures afterwards, but they said, we arrived at this village, and it was a Sunday, and we arrived plenty early because it was um, and because of travel, you don't ever know how long it's going to take you. And so he said, I, I went out and I took a picture of the scenery, just of the, you know, it's just all mountains there. And so he said, um, a few hours later, I went and looked, and I saw something. And so, so I went and took another picture, and it was this um, older Quechua lady coming off the mountains. And he didn't realize the first time, because he really couldn't see her until he went back and looked at the pictures, that you could see her as a speck. It took her six hours to walk down that mountain to come to church that day, to be with the people of God. Nigeria, even this every month actually, um, but again, um, churches are, are being attacked as the worshipers are inside. Um, there was one just, I think, the other month uh, that where 20 of them were killed and 20 of them are still missing as they gathered to worship God in northern Nigeria. I remember reading once when I was young about um, the days of communist Russia. They would actually hire these young college students that were, you know, football, judo, all those, that kind of rugged guys. And they would go in and they would bust up the church services when they would find them. The local police would get a, a phone tip and they'd run and beat it up. And one guy actually came to the Lord because after three times of beating this, this young college-age girl up, I mean, smashing her teeth out and everything like that. Finally, he's like, what are you doing here? Why are you back in church again? And I say this because as I read with our family lives and missionaries and pastors and our fellow Christians in foreign lands and the sacrifice they make for the local church, I'm reminded in our Christian culture that we're not near as passionate about this incredible thing that God has designed as the local church. And so this morning, I just want to take a brief look at... The local church, why is it that so many people are so passionate about local church? What have we forgotten here in North America about the purpose of the local church? And I know there's some confusion because, and there's some struggle because the church does sometimes get it wrong, don't they? I mean, I've grown up in church all my life. You know, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's probably not a whole lot that can happen in church that I've not been a part of now or been associated with. I mean, we've seen the legalistic authoritative leaders, right, that said, basically, I am the church. You can't, you can't remove me. I am the church. And we're having a new, um, in, in the new apostles that are coming in, we're getting even more of that happening where they said, I'm the church. doesn't matter what you say. You can't move me. I, I am your leader. And whatever my whim is, you guys have to submit to or you're, or you're not in and you're not part of this anymore. And then... The opposite was there's lawless individualism. I mean, I grew up um, in an independent, you know, basically Baptist church. And so we, we really tried to distance ourselves. You know, like, you're coming to Christ, you're not coming to a church. And that was kind of our message. But the problem is, it grew up into lawless individualism. People are like, what right do you have to tell me what to do? I'm a child of God, too. I mean, you would see that in the Bible. Remember when God said, Moses, I need you to lead this people out of Israel, uh, out of, uh, sorry, 
the land of Egypt into Israel. How many times did people, even his own family, come to him and says, what right do you have to tell us what is honoring to God? What right, you know, why don't we, can't, can't we have the same relationship to God too? And no person, even leadership, can dare correct them because what right do they have to speak for God? Because they have a relationship with God too. And so now in this confusion, I think some people think if two people meet in a restaurant, two Christians meet in a restaurant and talk theology, it's church. It's a local church. Or I've been to um, uh, Christian concerts, and they'll say things like this, we're not here to entertain, we're just going to do church. Really? Is that, is that what the local church is all about? Just feeling good together for a little bit, singing some songs, reminding us about what God is like? And today I want to consider the local church as something unique and special, amazing that God has designed. And I really don't think that you can separate the forming of a people into fully developed followers of Jesus Christ and a vibrant, living community that gathers under his leadership. I don't think you can separate those two things. Because how did the early disciples, who God gave the great commission to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, how did they fulfill that commission? If you start reading, well, I mean, the end of the Gospels, if you read right through to at least the first few chapters of Revelation, what do you find? They did that by establishing local Gospel-preaching churches. That's what they did. And so um, the word for the church is ecclesia. And, uh, and so I want to look at the very first um, time it shows up um, in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 16. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Verse 15, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Jesus now in verse 17 responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one he was the Messiah. As I read this passage, the first thing that I notice is it says, On this rock I will build my church. Blessed are you because you have made this de declaration rightly about me. That I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm going to build my church. And so I want to think about that because, um, first of all, I was thinking the church is an assembly of, of professing believers. The church is an assembling of professing believers. No matter what the connotation um, for the English word church is in our society, whether it's an architectural building, you know, right? some people say, well, there's that church and they're thinking about the building. Or maybe it's a local gathering of people, whether they're meeting in, you know, um, let's say a theater or something. They'll say that's where the church meets, talking about the people. Or whether maybe it's more like, um, like a religious structure, like the Roman Catholic Church. You know, we think of them as all that whole religious structure. No matter what people think uh, that comes to mind when they think church, it's usually in a religious sense here in Canada, isn't it? If you're going to say church, most people are thinking something religious, if they, uh, if they know English at all. But that was not the case for Ecclesia in, um, in Jesus' day or in the early Greek time. That was not what they thought. Um, they did not immediately think of a religious gathering. 
If you went into town in those days and you said, um, listen, where is the church? People would not direct you to a worship gathering at all because they had words for worship gatherings back in that day. There was Thiasos, which is a cultic society, or synagogue, which had been the Jewish gathering. Um, but Ecclesia was not one of those words. And you see this, if you look over in Acts chapter 19, you'll see this word used. And um, in the context, it would have been understood back in that day. So Acts chapter 19. And so essentially what has happened is, um, is Paul's running into all kinds of opposition to his ministry. And so people are even following him around and trying to discount him, trying to get him into trouble, trying to get him, like in Philippi, trying to get him beat, right, thrown in prison, try at any means to stop his ministry. And so as he's been preaching... They actually get some rabble-rousers to go and make a, an assault and make false accusations uh, against Paul. And so there's this great confusion. They haul. They couldn't find Paul, actually, at this time, so they haul some of his companions. They bring him through to the mayor, essentially, kind of at that time. And, uh, <clears throat> and then, uh, so in verse 3, 4, let's start there. When they all recognized that he was a Jew, because um, Alexander is one of the ones that they hauled, a companion of um, Paul... They all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So, I mean, for two hours, it's so much confusion that there's just shouting and chaos happening for two hours. Then it says, when the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he said, people of Ephesus, what person is there who doesn't know the city of Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis and the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of a goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen are with him, have a case against anyone, the courts are in session, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it must be decided. Now here's where the ecclesia is, or what we would a lot of times translate church. You must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, in verse 40, we run the risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today since there's no justification for this disturbance. After this saying, he dismissed the same word assembly, which is ecclesia or church. Now, if you read this, there was no connotation of a religious service going on. It was a gathering for one, a devious purpose. But he says to them, listen, bring it to the assembly... If you have a real grievance, bring it to the assembly, and in um, a court of law, sort of, will deal with this issue that you want to bring forth. Ecclesia was simply the assembly, typically of full citizens in that city in the Greek, Greek culture. Because a lot of times, in, um, there was not a whole lot of actual Greeks, and you had to be um, a full Greek in order to be part of that ecclesia, which we would almost do. Um, you know how uh, every, every town has its counselors that meet and gather and make decisions? It would almost be maybe a little bit of that setting. Now, Jesus says over in Matthew, he says, I will build my church. I will build my gathering, my gatherers. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, it's interesting, as that, that um, epistle is written, he says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the gathering of the Thessalonians. Now, that just means that it could be just the town gathering, but then he adds this, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, they're actually gathering under the authority of Jesus Christ. The church 
is an assembly of professing believers. It was about assembling that they were, that's the whole point of church, is that they gathered to assemble together. And it really didn't exist if they weren't assembling. It, the point was that they gathered together as the church. And Paul's time to say, I'm a part of a church, but I don't attend it very often, would have been very confusing to them. Because to be the church meant that you attended, that you gathered together. It would be like if you invited me to a party at your house this evening, and you said, I'm having a little gathering of friends um, Sunday evening. Can you come? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. I'd like to be part of you. I'll be a part of your gathering, but I won't be able to attend. You're like, what? How can you be part of a gathering and not actually attend the gathering? Yet church means I'm a gathering. It's a gathering of people together. And the church we understand now is the church in God that follows God. God says, I'm going to build my church, my gathers that worship me under the declaration that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. A church is committed to gathering. If we're the church, then guess what? It's about gathering together. Secondly, the church acknowledges the headship of Christ. Now, um, ecclesia, the, um, the, the X means out from, and the root word is um, a verb which means is kaleo, which means to call. And God says, listen, I'm going to call my gatherers unto me. I'm going to call them unto myself and hopefully be obedience to me. We'll talk about that in, in a couple minutes. And like the apostle Peter the church is built on acknowledging who Christ is. What did, what did Jesus say to Peter? He says, Peter, who did men say that I am? He says, well, some think you're Isaiah, some think you're another prophet. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And he said, what? I believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he says this, you are blessed, Peter, um, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, in verse 18 of chapter 16 in Matthew. And I will say to you, are Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overpower it. I thought it was interesting. Um, Jesus, I think, is saying something here that has been misconstrued for centuries. Because people say, well, well, Peter is the rock on which the church is built. And as I study this, I don't think that's actually what Jesus is saying. Because um, he says... You are Peter, and I guess the idea is that you are a little rock, and on this Petros, this, this large foundation, I will build my church. And the first one, he's talking to Peter, you are Peter, and on this, I will build my church. I think he's talking about the declaration that Jesus, that Peter just made. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and says, Peter, little rock, upon this massive foundation, I'm going to build my church. And then he says, and I will give you, now he's talking back to Peter again, the keys. Who established the church? Christ did. The church is built on the right declaration of who Jesus is. Jonathan Lehman writes this, Just as our government is our highest authority established by God in earth in regards to our citizenship in our nation, so the church is our highest authority when it comes to your discipleship and your citizenship in Christ's present and promised kingdom. And so the church doesn't just now become um, a nice social club or gathering or service center. The church exists because we have a king. It's a theocratic assembly. In other words, we are responsible to God. We get our authority from God. That's why when, when the government says, you can't gather, what does the church say? We must obey God rather than man. We get our mandate from God himself to do our gathering. We gather in his name. 
I see more and more that there's this word shareholders that's being thrown around in regards to like church and church ministries. People are like, you're not consulting with the shareholders. I'm sorry. The church doesn't have shareholders. Right? Now there's people who might have a vested interest in the church doing some things for them, but they're not the shareholders. There's only one person who leads the church, and that's God. It's not that even the pastor. The pastor what? Follows the over-shepherd. We follow his leading. We follow his guidance. Thirdly, as we think about the church, I put this. The church affirms those who claim to represent Jesus. The church affirms those who claim to represent Jesus. Church exists because we have a king. And he also said, Peter, Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Now here's where I think it's important to understand, and we're starting with the, that Christ is the head of the church, because if you start with the wrong idea, you're going to end up in the wrong conclusion. For instance, if I, say, if I call my family, the Cameron family, me, my wife, and the boys, a business, you know what's going to happen with my kids? They're going to look for a better business, <laughs> right? One with more benefits and stuff like that. They're like, hey, why am I going to stay here? Like, there, there's... There's some benefits, like we have to clean out the pigs every now and then in this, in this work environment. I'm going to find a better work environment. And so you need to be careful, and we need to start properly. And that's why I said the church starts with that God is the king of it. And the early church was birthed out of kingdom thinking, kingdom philosophy. When Jesus came, what does the Bible say? He taught about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He taught and he t- talked all these kingdom parables that he would teach the people out of. And then as he begins to roll out what I think was a mystery, the Bible says, in the Old Testament, and talks about the, the church, it's still coached in that kingdom thinking. In the Gospels, you most of Jesus' teaching centered on the concept of kingdom. And Israel knew that concept, right? They had a king, they had a kingdom, and their role was represent God to the world. And when Jesus came... He said some things that were really caused them to have a struggle because, right, right, God had said to Israel, he said, listen, the way that you live to the world will tell the world about my character. Was God merciful or unmerciful? Was God just or unjust? Israel was to not only display that but teach that to the world. And they begin to fail at their role. And so God says this, Jesus said this when he was here. He said, Israel was being fired from her role, if we put it that way. Matthew 3, 9 to 12, Matthew 8, 11 to 12. And then he said this, God was establishing a people to represent him, not in a geographical state, but a particular set of people that would now display him to the world, which we understand now to be the church, universal church. And that's why toward the end of Jesus' ministry, he starts mentioning the church. And during the ministry of the apostles, you have an emphasis on the church surrounded in terms of kingdom. For instance, you'll hear this, our citizenship, what's that? That's kingdom talking, is in heaven. For God, you'll hear you are strangers and pilgrims on this earth, right? That's kingdom language. And he says you are ambassadors for Christ. That's Second Corinthians five twenty. What's that? That's kingdom language. Now here's the problem: anybody can claim to be an ambassador. And Jesus predicted, especially when it comes to the church. And Jesus predicted that many impostors would come. Matthew twenty four five says many will come in my name, saying I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Right? There'll be people that will stand up and say, oh, I represent God. And in our day and age, anybody can come up and, you know, it's freedom of speech. Anybody can come and say this, I represent Jesus. So how do we discern between true and false? 
Now in Canada, if you think about us as a nation, nobody just appoints themselves as ambassadors, do they? Can I just say, hey, I'm the ambassador of Canada. I'm going to go and I'm going to represent Canada to, well, Russia won't work. I'm not allowed in right now, but, you know, some other nation. I'm just going to go and show up and be the ambassador. No, I have to be appointed to that, don't I? To say, yeah, you can represent us. They must be commissioned and authorized. And that, in many ways, is the role of the local church. Jesus said to Peter, you have the keys. Your role is to prove what is of the kingdom, what is not of the kingdom. Bind means to claim, and loose means to tear down. Now, it's interesting um, to think about, if you turn over to the next um, page, and uh, let me see here, in... I'm just lost. Oh, yeah, in verse 15, uh, Luke, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, he talks about how to deal with somebody who's living in error, right? And he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, if you're one, your brother. And then he works down through that statement. And then look at this, what it says this. Um, in verse 17, if he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Verse 18, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth you will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Same exact words as he said, Peter, give you the kingdom. Whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. Let's just, uh, maybe I'll just back up before I finish that thought. Remember in the letters to the seven churches, what, is, what does God say the church is to do? And one of the, when he would give his warning, he would say, listen, there, are sin, there is sin in your midst. You need to point it out. You need to deal with it. As a local church, you need to say, hey, listen, this is not representing Jesus Christ. Revelation 2, I have a few things against you because you have there, those there who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. You also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. He says, listen, you need to set forth the straight and say, this is not part of the kingdom of God. These actions, this teaching is not part of the kingdom of God. Second Peter 2, 1, there are false prophets among the people. Even there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord. And he says, what? Your job is to say, no, this is not part of the kingdom. I could go on and on, but for time, um, I won't read any more. So what does the church do? The church exposes the doctrine and states that it says this is not part of God's kingdom. Same with people. We say, listen, this person does not represent Christ well. They're not a legitimate ambassador of Christ. 1 Peter 5.20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Jesus Christ has commissioned the local church to stand in front of a confessor to consider their profession and announce an official judgment on heaven's behalf. Now, we can't change a person's status. I hope you understand that. We can't actually say you're in or in, you're out. That's, God is the judge. But we can affirm and say, listen, yes, this person, based on their confession of faith, this person is valid. He lines up with the kingdom of heaven. And we endorse him. We confirm what they, who they are. That's what the local church is to do. Um, does the church do this perfectly? No. But that's the call of the church. We formally affirm a person's standing. Um, whose job is it to affirm true Christianity? The gatherers do. They affirm the leadership they submit to. Why am I a pastor? Am I a pastor here because simply I waltzed in and says, listen, I'm a pastor, listen to me. 
Is that the way it works? I should hope not, because that's a really recipe for disaster. What does it happen? I got examined, right? They, they called, they checked on my references, my background, to see if I lined up in the way I acted, in the lined up the way that I taught the Word of God. See, listen, is this a legitimate man that can be a pastor? Then it was brought to the church for the ecclesia to say, listen, does this man have the qualities of a pastor? Because the Word of God is spelled out very clearly the qualities that you have to be to be an elder of a church. The ecclesia are the one says, yes, this guy has a stamp of the kingdom of God on him. And if I do anything, if I change my philosophy or I begin to overly change my act, actions in an unrepentant way, the ecclesia will have to say what? You don't represent God's kingdom well anymore. You're a poor representative of that. They affirm other believers. I like um, when Saul uh, got saved and then he tried to join himself in with the church. I don't know if you remember, but, uh, but the church was a little, little scared um, in order to receive him. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. And then it says, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Why? And he declared, or Saul declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, how he'd spoken to them, how he'd preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, Acts chapter 9. What happened? People were like, I don't know. This is probably a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? He's, he's tried the aggressive thing. We're all running. So now he's going to pretend to be one of us, find out where we are, and then he's going to haul us all in at once. So what did they do? They brought him to the ecclesia and says, hey, listen, check this guy out. Is his testimony real? Is he valid? Is he part of the kingdom of God? He's a representative. They affirm truth. That's why we, the ecclesias got together at one point and affirmed the canon of Scripture. Because there was rogue men that were rising up and saying, hey, listen, this is part of the Bible. This is not part of the Bible. One of them, Marcion, sailed from his home near the Black Sea to the capital city of Rome. Marcion believed the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. The former was distant and loved justice, where the other was loving and loved grace in the New Testament. And so he developed a list of books he considered acceptable, obviously not the Old Testament. Only portions of the, the Gospel of Luke, ten of Paul's letters, and another one from Paul the Alexandrians. Um, this list was known as the Marcion Canon. He says, no, 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 this, the, the, all this is no good. These are the ones you need to follow. And, of course, they're the ones that kind of supported his teachings. Then between 156 and 172, another guy appeared on the scene, Montanus. He had two prophetesses with him, Priscilla and Maximilla. They spoke in ecstatic visions and encouraged their followers to fast and pray, which would be a great thing if they weren't trying to change the message, too. Um, their message was what they called new prophecy, which pushed Christ and the apostolic message into the background. And the church had to gather and gather and say, is this true? Are these good representatives of Christ? And of course, they said, no, this does not line up with the scriptures. And they affirmed again, these are the scriptures. This is what we listen to and follow. These represent God and his kingdom well. And that's part of the church is to affirm and say, listen, we've examined them. We've listened to them. We've watched their conduct. We've heard their testimony. We, we recognize these as legitimate kingdom workers. Fourthly, because our time is going, the church administers God's grace to one another. You see this more in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 6. It talks about that we have this charisma or the gifting that God puts on us. And it talks about us in the term, and you guys know this, of the body. That, that a body works together and functions together for the purpose of building itself up. You know, sometimes we pray in our prayers. We say, Lord, help so-and-so, my brother over there. 
And I often wonder if God, at least he says to me, I don't know if he says to you, why don't you do something about that? Right? When I was on earth, Jesus says, I did those things. I was the hands and feet, right? I went and I healed them, and I, I took care of them, and I, you know, did all those things. I fed them. But I'm gone now, and I commissioned you to be lights of the world. What it says, so let your light show, shine before men they may see your good works. Right? That's using our hands and feet, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How does your body work best, together or apart? Right? There's been a couple times my body has been apart. Bones get pulled apart. Listen, I was not working very well. The body works together as gathering together. That's how the body works. And Hebrews 10, it's interesting. We're like, don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the man of some is. And some people are like, hey, I'm doing my job if I gather together. But it says, no. He says, what? You, the whole context is that you build one another up. It's what you do when you gather together. So if you think, oh, listen, I'm obeying God just because I showed up in church today, that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is to edify and build each other up as you gather, what you do when you gather. Uh, just uh, really quickly, to ignore the church is to overestimate yourself. If you try to ignore the church and you're like, I'm going to be a lone ranger, it's to overestimate yourself. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. If I say, listen, I can do it all on my own. I'll do evangelism, discipleship, spiritual walk. Really? God says that's about as silly as saying, listen, I'm going to run a race, and all I'm going to take is my legs and my feet with me. But you, it doesn't work. You've got to bring the whole body with you for that to work. Even in people's salvation, what does Paul say? I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. It was the body working together that saw salvation. You're not the whole package. That keeps us from getting blown up into self-importance. You know, can you imagine the eye tell and the hand get lost, I don't need you? As God says, or, or the, um, you know, the head telling the foot, get lost, I don't need you. What, what good would that be? We all need each other. No sports team does amazing when it's just about the individual, not a team. I have a cousin that's um, University of Connecticut fan. She loves basketball. And... Um, the University of Connecticut Women's Huskies have one of the two longest winning streaks that I know of um, in, uh, in college basketball. Um, but Gino, the coach, said this one, one day, and I thought this was really interesting. He said, in a day of celebrity players, I will risk a loss rather than playing a self-centered player. He says, what? Because it's about the team working together. And God says, listen, the church is about them gathering and working together, building one another up with the gifts, with the, the, the charisma gifts that God has bestowed upon us to build one another up. Our gifts weren't meant for ourselves, right? I don't have the gift of giving so that I can give to myself. That's not the point of it. But people do that. Sometimes we hoard our own gifts. God says, no, it's for the building up and the edifying of the body of Jesus Christ. We need each other. I want to encourage you. You know, it's amazing to me sometimes what we'll put up with our own physical families so we can hold it together. And you know what I'm talking about. But it amazes me sometimes how quick we are with our spiritual family to walk away because somebody said something unkind. Somebody said something hurtful or did something hurtful. And we're like, okay, I'm walking away. And God says, no, no. I've put them for your edification, just as I believe God gives us our brothers and sisters and mom and parents, so it forces us, it drives us to Jesus. So don't be surprised when your fellow brother and sister in Christ in the church drives you to Jesus. 
They may just be what God has put there. I, I was telling my boys actually this this past week that a lot of times God won't change that person until he changes you because he's using that person to change you, right? And so you're all bothered by this person, how they're acting. Well, they might keep on acting that way until God is changing what he needs to change in you. That's how a body works. Kingdom of God, our spiritual family, needs to be a priority. One time, Matthew 12 um, Jesus is teaching, and his, and his um, family come. And they're like, Jesus, stop your teaching. Your family's here. And, and Jesus says, what? No, no, my family are those that want to listen and do the will of God. That's my family. Even if you think about the Lord's Prayer, how does it go? Is it for one person praying by themselves in their bedroom? No, what's it start off with? Our Father. But it's, it's, it's a communal thing. It's part of being gathering that we pray. We need the accountability, protection, and provision and instruction of the local body people called the local church. And that is why many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing, facing death because they gather together like we're doing this morning. They risk death. They risk imprisonment. They risk beating, having, having the um, knuckles of their hand broken because they say, I need this thing that God has created. That's why he has called us together. They understand the plan of Ecclesia. And I've grown up, and I've seen the good, bad, and the ugly. I've been at meetings where the whole side of the church has been sprayed because somebody left in a hurry and put rocks over the side. I've been in all those kind of situations. You give me a story, and I might be able to even one-up it. But I'll tell you this as a pastor. I love pastoring because what I've seen God do with the body of believers, it's incredible what God does with the body of believers who want to honor and serve him. It's amazing what God does with that. As I drive out in the countryside, especially here in New Brunswick, I see empty buildings where the church once gathered. I don't know about you, but I often wonder, what are the stories that that church once would tell, that, that building would once tell? Because I know in my own history, how many times that it's just been a small little band of a local church the Bible says that can't be done, and we did it. We did it with the grace of God on, on our lives as we worked together to accomplish it. But now I see that abandoned building because people lost their sense of purpose, and it saddens my heart. Just like Ephesus in Revelation, God says, listen, I'm going to remove your light. I'm going to remove the light of your local church in that area unless you remember your passion, unless you remember your first love. If you don't do that, your local church is going to die. And then the building, even this building, can stand empty. I remember once a wealthy man built a church um, for his community um, because they didn't have a very good church, and he was very wealthy, and he moved back to his community. He says, I want to build a church. And so he built this fabulous church. It was in the days when electricity was first starting to run, and because he was wealthy, they assumed he would, he would run electricity to the church, and he didn't. And so they come to the opening of it as he's handing it back over to the ecclesia, to the gatherers, saying, this is your church, it's not my church, it's not going to have my name on it, but I have the funds and I want to build this church. And they said, where are the lights? And as they walk in, he pa passes each family a lantern. And he says, you are going to be lights in this church. In other words, if you don't show up and if you don't serve, guess what? It's going to be a really dim service because you're part of that. I don't know how many of you have... I'm a wood stove, but we have a wood stove, and it's going pretty steady now in our house. But it's interesting to me. In the morning, sometimes I'll go down, and the stove will be starting to cool down. And I open that door, and, and you, know, you know what you do, right? You go through um, 
all, all the, the, you know, the, the embers and stuff, and, and you're looking for little coals because I desperately hate starting a fire every time. And so, and so I, I, start, I start going through the ashes, right? And I'll find a coal over here, and I'll find a little coal over here. And they're kind of black, and, and maybe one of them's glowing a little bit. And what do I do? I start putting them together in a pile. Because if I get enough of them together, what begins to happen? It can start sparking, right? And then I can just throw my wood on it, and it'll go. I don't have to build paper. I don't have to cut kindling. I can ignore all that because it'll just catch it all on fire. Well, you know, we are the church of God. And the... We can often be like that coal, say, I'm just going to go do my little thing over here. But you know what happens? We get misguided. We're like that little, little piglet of mine, <laughs> little runt that goes and does his own thing, thinking he's, he's doing something really beneficial and, and ends up being kind of destructive um, in his life. And we need the body of Christ. We're designed for the body of Christ to build one another up. I want to ask you this. Will your lantern be building up the body of Jesus Christ and calling one another to pursue him with greater passion this year? Well, you bring your lantern as we gather and say, you know, with the gifts God has given me, that I'm going to be part of this to keep our ecclesia on course so we bring glory and honor to his name.